David Richards is a business professional, life coach, yoga instructor, and speaker on self-development. He spent his early childhood living a, in various parts of the United States and three years actually living abroad on the island of Okinawa, Japan. After graduating university with a career in English, he was commissioned as an officer in the Marine Corps. He served 15 years on active duty before deciding to break out of the path of his father and brother and had followed in making the military a career and left the Marines to pursue a civilian life. He joined Cisco Systems in 2006 and shortly thereafter discovered yoga. A year later, he taught his first yoga class and realized the fulfillment that came from helping others see their vision more clearly. And he became a certified life coach. He works with individuals and organizations conducting training and through private coaching engagements, speaking events, and workshops. Down to earth, insightful, and sometimes silly, he blends elements of yoga and quantum physics to bring the esocentric together with the practical for a truly unique perspective of how the mind works in creating easily understood self-development plans that create lasting change for a more fulfilling life. And today on the True Success Podcast, me and David Richards talk about yoga and whiskey. His book, which is an international bestseller, and I truly, truly loved it. And here we have my special guest, Kaylin Ingalls, my four-year-old daughter. Kaylin, say hello to the audience. Hi. Hi. <laughs> she's so wonderful. But she's helping me today in, in this role that I have today. But me and David discussed yoga and whiskey and it has been a wonderful conversation. We did experience some audio issues, some Wi-Fi and internet things. But uh, I've cut it up, chopped it up, and uh, tried to make it the best podcast show possible. And I th still think that even after the challenges and issues that we had with the audio, it's really a just a tremendous show. So if you're going to ask me, Kirby, what are you? Uh, sitting on as far as whiskey goes, uh, it would be the Glen Lovett Caribbean Reserve, and it's a single malt Scotch whiskey. And then I have a Red Breast single pot still. Uh, it's an Irish whiskey aged at about 12 years old, and then a local distillery called McCormick. It is a Scotch blended Scotch whiskey aged about three years, and it is a product of Scotland imported. And then also another one. Uh, it's a West Bottoms uh, whiskey company. It's a Kansas City whiskey. Yes, I do love my Kansas City whiskey. And uh, it is uh, blended here in Kansas City and made uh, as a product of the local area. So uh, I do recommend that uh, you drink responsibly. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. Hi, my name is Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. 
This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Kirby Angles, and I'm here with David Richards, who is the author of Whiskey and Yoga and also a Marine veteran. Uh, David, welcome to the show, and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Kirby, thanks so much for having me. So uh, David Richards uh, was uh, a lot of things, but I started, I grew up in the military, so my dad was a career Marine, moved around a lot, lived in Japan for a couple of years, uh, went out uh, into college and then joined the Marines through ROTC, did 15 years, um, decided that I kind of wanted to break away from what had become the family business and, and figure out sort of my own thing. So got out in 2006, uh, jumped into corporate America, but also jumped into yoga and uh, that kind of brought me back to writing, which is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, even as a kid, like stories were, were huge to me. So I uh, wrote my first book, uh, 2017, international bestseller, really, really cool feeling. And then wrote my second book last year, currently working on my third book, but uh, really helping, uh, helping people find their purpose and fulfill their lives. So, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, I, you know, we had our initial conversation and I picked up your book and I started reading it. Um, and it, it's actually uh, pretty interesting because, you know, what attracted me was whiskey and yoga. And I'm actually engaged in both of it. Uh, I've done yoga in the past, but uh, this year has been the year that I've really began to kind of develop the habit and participate because I've been having some hip issues and some mobility challenges uh, running, you know, ultra marathons and biking and some other stuff. And never stretch enough. I never, I just get on and go. Right. You know, cause yeah. you're young, you can do that. And, uh, uh, so I, I, I knew yoga. I mean, I've always been told like you need to do this. And so, uh, I've been doing it this year and then on the whiskey, you know, that was the other part that really attracted me. Um, and obviously I enjoy, you know, drinking a, a glass of whiskey from time to time, but, uh, at the very top, it says, find your purpose. And as I began to pick up open that book, you know, and I began to read through it, I mean, I'm almost like I, I flew through it. It was, um, it was one of the easier reads and it was actually a breath of fresh air. And, uh, you know, you talked a lot about your dad in the very beginning of the book, yep. you know, and, and his, um, the scripting, right. You talk about the, the standard generational handed down script that we yep. all have. And I really resonated with that. I'm like, I think that was one of the things about the book that really pulled me in, in the very beginning. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit, uh, you know, as far as, you know, the, the script, but also, you know, how that kind of shaped, you know, I guess you and your brother's lives and how that transpired into uh, where you found your purpose. Yeah, well, no, and it's, you know, so my dad, uh, born on small town, Iowa, mm -hmm. uh, enlisted in the Marines in 1959, uh, <clears throat> Vietnam as an infantry command, you know, platoon commander in 1966, 67, um, and then came back to the States and like had a family life, but it's weird because growing up in the military, you don't know anything else. And so like all, like all I knew was every two or three years we moved. And this was the time back in the seventies and eighties when there was no Facebook, there was no internet. We're not going to text tomorrow. Like we're on the road. I'm never going to see you again. And we're not going to be friends anymore because neither one of us is mature enough to write letters and, and be pen pals that way. Um, and so like, it helped my creativity flourish, like, because like comic books, as weird as it sounds, became a mainstay for me because when I couldn't have friends, like at least I could have something that I could take with me. And so comic books became that vehicle. 
And as you got older, like I spent three years in Japan as a kid, came back to the States when 99.7% of US kids my age had not had that experience. Mm -hmm. And living in an Eastern culture and being exposed to Eastern philosophy 24-7 for three years as an impressionable you know, youth turning into a teenager has a big impact on you. And so like there's the whole dynamic of trying to fit in high school and what popularity is. And then it's okay, well, what do you want to do? I really liked English. I was good at writing. I got national recognition for a short story I wrote. I got poetry that won contests, but that wasn't really cool. Like English wasn't popular, like writing stories wasn't popular. So I was like, well, okay. And then when it came time to career time, it was like, okay, got to go to school. That was kind of like, it was, I don't even know that, that like that was an option. It was like, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to college. And I think it was just like my dad had gone to college at night while a Marine. And I think he wanted to like, you know, avoid my brother and I having to make that mistake. So let's go through school, but you're going to pay for half of it. And so it was like, all right, not smart enough to get a scholarship because I didn't apply myself and I was sort of my, my like, you know, attention deficit disorder in the eighties. Um, and then it was like, all right, well, I will do ROTC because that's something that I'm familiar with, but I'm not going to do the Marines because I resented moving around and I blame the Marine Corps for that. But then like I started with the Navy ROTC and that was too mechanical. And I'm not an, like, I'm not an engineer. I'm an English major. That's a problem. Um, and so like it ended up, lo and behold, Marine ROTC and then, and then kind of that path. And it was just... I didn't know what else was out there. Like I had no exposure, you know, outside of working at Burger King or being a dishwasher, you know, at the Marine officers club on base, I just didn't know what else was out there. And I think right. as I got exposed to people, you know, and this is going to sound crazy too, but like when I went to school, that's my first real exposure to civilians because mm -hmm. up until that point, with the exception of four years, when I was a kid, we lived on base and that's a completely different universe wherever you are on a base. And so it was just like this idea that, okay, I'm going to do this because I know it's familiar. It's comfortable at the same time. Like as I got through my career, I was like, I, why am I doing this to myself? Like I didn't like this as a kid and now I'm getting paid to do it, but I still don't like it. So let me figure something out. So that was kind of the awakening of let me get off script from, from what my dad had done. But at some point, like I remember Kirby, like I was in artillery, and at some point I was like, well, how is that going to translate to the civilian life? Like, what is like, there's no job equation that I could see that artillery fits. So I'm like, well, my dad switched from infantry to data systems. So I'll go to communications because that's the same thing my dad did. And that, that was like literally how my thought process went. And that's what I did. And I, was, I got to a point where I'm like, wait, I can write my own script. You know, I really resonated with, you know, the, 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 the script because I kind of felt like that was the same way. And in there you mentioned, you know, uh, choices, right. And it's the choices that we make help us get off that script. Uh, and I can remember, you know, I had to make that choice and we have a lot of similarities as far as you know, military service goes. And I made that, you know, choice, you know, when I left the small town USA and actually went in the military. So my script changed. And as I was reading through your book and you know, I was reading your cross through that, I was like, you know, what choices did I make the, you know, switch that script on? And that was what probably one of the, the scripts that, you know, for me changed the trajectory of things for me. And for you, you know, you were continuously following in your father's footsteps and your brothers, um, which I thought was interesting. And then, um, 
And then you were talking about as you left the military, which is, I thought this was really a powerful statement and you probably illustrated it better than anybody I've heard before was uh, you said transitioning out of the uniform into the civilian world is a lot like leaving the wild West and going into the big city. Yeah. So I, I, it was a great illustration. Um, and I know you talked a lot about school. So can you explain your thought processes about school and how the, I guess the, the Western culture um, and your exposure to the Eastern maybe culture has influenced that a little bit about how yep. we create these standards. Right. And then um, that it impacts a lot of folks ability to be creative. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think you look at like, you look at corporate America as it was born kind of out of the fifties. Right. And so the success of world war two, hundreds of thousands of men coming back into service or, you know, coming back into corporate America. And so it's like, all right, let's, so we kind of created this factory mindset and that's where we churn stuff out, we churn stuff out and schooling to some extent reflected that because like schooling teaches you there's history, there's biology, there's chemistry, there's all this stuff, but like, you don't learn, like, you know, to an extent in home ec, you learn, okay, this is how I live. Like I need to do dishes or I need to learn how to bake and cook stuff. But like, there's never any class for balancing a checkbook or like managing money. It's like, that's something you kind of do on the side. And so you well, like, well, what's the education system really designed to do? And in some ways it's kind of designed to do everything. It's just the formal education that we get is rigorous. And then you get to college and it kind of opens up and like, you can start to appeal like, well, this is kind of the path I want to go really, or I want to go here. But for me, like the best education I got, not only just being in uniform, but then, you know, attending to, you know, I got to two post-grad classes. I went to command of staff and then I went to a second year program where they only take like 24 people and it's called the School of Advanced Warfighting. But there, like you, you sit at the feet of Clausewitz, like this Prussian commander who wrote the theory of warfare for Western warfare. You know, he fought against Napoleon's armies and he has this really beautiful although complicated approach towards like, this is how you get into the commander's head to see what they saw and make the decisions they made. Like then you understand like how to fight. And that was the purpose of the school. But at the same time, then you get like the Eastern philosophy, Sun Tzu. And they're basically saying the same thing. Sun Tzu says like the battle's fought before it's ever like, before you ever foot, you know, set foot on the field, basically because you've studied it so much. They're kind of coming to it. One's in a very esoteric, but beautiful way. The other's in this very practical Western way. And so those kind of things come together and you realize, well, all my education has been useful, but it also ties into like how I apply it and how I use it personally. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, you, you know, speaking of the schooling system too, there were, there was another question I came up with um, and I actually picked it out of the book and I noticed it and it was something that um, I kind of had recognized too, but I thought you put it pretty eloquently about uh you know how our parents encourage us, right? As as we leave the home, the nest, we go out off to college to just get these things out of our system. And at some point in time, life has to get serious, and uh, the fun it ends. I mean, yeah. it's over with. And so, I wanted to know if you wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that that was kind of how I looked at writing, right? Because I like I remember. It was my sophomore year when I got this. I wrote this short story and it was like this kind of moral fable with talking animals, but it was really powerful. Like it was, I was by the end of it, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like I wrote a cool story. And then it was like, wow, this is good enough. And it got, I remember like it got 
national recognition in a national scholastic magazine, which was like mm. back then a big deal. And all it meant was I had my name on a page, piece of, you know, a page in the magazine, but <laughs> it's a nationwide magazine yeah. as a 10th grader, you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But you don't also appreciate like what it means because your world is so small. And so like that summer, like a college reached out to me. It was like, Hey, we'd love for you to come to college here. I'm like, I'm not even a junior. Like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? That's ridiculous. But you get to a place where like, as I went into college, you know, because I've been in Japan, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be an international business major because that's like a mature, serious thing. And I took the first few classes and was like, this is like, this is not inspiring. And so I went to see a career counselor and the career counselor was like, well, what do you like to do? And this is like 1987. So I mean, it's like, you know, but yeah. I'm like, well, I like to write. And he's like, well, then be an English major. I'm like, okay, I will. And so I did, but all this was under the guise of I'm going into the military as soon as I graduate. And so it was kind of like, you know, in my, my college roommate was my best friend from high school. We both went to Penn state. He was a psychology major. And in some way we both kind of looked at our degrees as like, what are we going to do with this? Like, I want, like, I want to go, like, I kind of wanted to fly, but like, I probably wasn't going to be smart, smart enough to do that, but I wanted to do something like manly, like I want to be in combat arms in the Marines. And, um, and so it was like college was where we left sort of the childhood behind and you became an adult. And so for me, that meant, okay, I'm going to leave writing behind because I like, for me, Stephen King was one of the towers of writing at the time, like his stuff, like to read Pet Cemetery, still yeah. today, like a incredible, like that someone came up with that in their mind. You're like, holy smokes. But like, I just not, I'm like, I cannot be Stephen King. I will never be Stephen King. So I'm going to go be a Marine because that's all I know. And, you know, even my parents, like they knew I had this creative spurt. They knew I liked, you know, comic books and drawing and writing, but they didn't know how to like expand. <laughs> like they didn't know how to like, oh, well, here's a drawing school that yeah. you can go to, or here's like this writing person who will help you how to write. Like that stuff kind of wasn't available back then. And it was like, well, how do you like inspire that? And the best thing they did was kind of say like, figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But here's that you got to pay for college. Like that's something that you have to figure out. The easiest way for me is okay, ROTC. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my grandparents, you know, when I was early on, about 12 years old, they already started talking to me about the military, right? Because they knew, like, they knew the script that I was, you know, playing out and they knew what was going to happen. And so they thought, you know, maybe they planted that seed and, and for me to leave. Uh, and so that would help me get my education and my experiences in the world and kind of got me to where I'm at. And so I think that that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I, there's, there's this part in there where you talk about, uh, people switch jobs a lot and, uh, you know, and they're, because they're searching for something And your, your book, I mean, obviously it's titled whiskey and yoga, but at the very top, it says, find your purpose. And, uh, a good uh, portion of it is about finding your purpose. Um, <laughs> And I, you know, when I think about people switching jobs, you know, uh, back when your father, you know, was in the military, um, even post-Vietnam, there was still a lot of loyalty. Um, people were still committed to particular organizations and they stayed for 20, 30, 40 years. And today yes. people switch jobs every two, three, four years. Um, and I, I get the understanding and the perspective of it. Um, they're jumping from one thing to the next and gaining experience and um, you know, while I was in the military, uh, never did the same thing twice, really. Uh, yeah. I had a very diverse, so I understood it from that perspective, but I was committed to the military for like 25 years. And, right. uh, and so there was that loyalty and that sense of commitment. I know you talk about commitment later on in the book, which we'll get to. Um, but what do you, 
what do you think people are looking for? What or jumping around, switching jobs? Uh, I see this a lot too in the corporate where it's maybe more money or more, more vacation days or more time off, you know, and they're just searching for something, but they never seem to find it. No, it's, it's a great point. And I think part of it's because, and again, this, like I attribute this almost exclusively to my Eastern philosophy exposure. Cause mm-hmm. like, like being in Japan for three years, I was thinking about today or earlier before we got on just about like the smell, like you could go off base and you could, it's just smelled different. And it felt different. And you'd go by like temples and it was like just this, this energy that was so completely non-American. And it was like, it was exotic, but it was also like, I mean, you couldn't even really comprehend it. And so for me, like when I look back on that, it was, it was gratifying. But what I realized was so many times we're seeking something outside of us. And, and we're like, well, uh, this job wasn't good enough or like, I didn't like this job or I'm not getting paid enough money. So I'm going to go over here because what I really want is more money. So I may take a job that I don't like, but it's going to pay me more. So now I've just shifted kind of my misery from this to that. I'm making more money, but I'm less happy. And ultimately, one of the shifts I've seen in corporate America, at least with the companies I'm familiar with is... It's, it's no longer, well, this is what I need you to do. It's, well, what do you like to do? Because if we find out what you like to do and we can find a part of this job or role that fulfills that in you, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm going to be more excited because like if I like to write and I can find a job where I get to write all the time, that's going to be really exciting because it's inspiring to me to do something that I like and bring that to work. And if I'm doing a good job, it's only going to be this like cycle of benefit where I continue to like, oh, I'm so fulfilled because I get to do something I love to do and I'm getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that's kind of the shift we need to make is the thing that you really want is nothing outside you. It's completely inside you. And you just have to say, well, how do I appeal that until it gets to a place where I'm doing what I love to do and people see value in that so I get paid for it. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the True Success Podcast on Radio Public and get new episodes as they become available. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. That's pretty cool. I, uh, you know, as I sit here and listen to you, I, I, um, a friend of mine pops in my head that I've known for, I don't know, probably 10 years now. Uh, he actually went to Thailand uh, and has some Eastern culture exposures as well. I uh, went there for about six months and he had wrote a book about his experience called the next life in the afternoon. His name's Carl Weaver. Um, and I've probably known him for about 10, 12 years now. And uh, I would say, you know, and he has that same creative expression now, you know, he, he publishes, he writes, he does photography. And so he's doing a lot of freelance stuff now. 
and, and tapping really hugely into his creativity. He went over there to uh, practice to be a monk. And, uh, and then he ended up deciding that that wasn't what he was supposed to be doing. And then yeah. uh, shifted him back to the United States and he kind of found his purpose. And so I thought that was interesting. You know, the, the two parallels with the Eastern culture and you were talking about the smell of the temples and reading his book, he was very descriptive about that experience and the exposure to the culture and what life was like. Um, and so, and I, and I had it obviously had a huge impact on him. Um, you know, you, uh, you talk about how people settle into their lives and, you know, they, they, they basically think that, you know, things will get better, but, you know, or maybe even potentially, you know, um, uh, if we use the whiskey terminology, you know, they, they're going to age and get better like, you know, whiskey, but at right. some point in time, whiskey doesn't get any better with age. Right. 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 And so, yeah. And so you, can you kind of uh, talk a little bit about that and how maybe potentially uh, maybe some of the reasons why people don't uh, find that fire or that, that spark that ignites their fire, which is, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to their purpose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's, it's, we get comfortable mm -hmm. and that's kind of the, like, that's the goal. I, I want to be as comfortable as possible. And so then we sort of shield ourselves and it's okay. So then we're making like informed decisions. We're not necessarily taking risks and life becomes expected and life becomes planned. And so it's like, okay, I know it's going to happen. So I'm comfortable and mm, yeah, there's this ache I have, like I want to do something more, but that's also kind of scary and I don't want to deal with scary. So I'm going to stay comfortable mm -hmm. and people that's, that's exactly what people do. And I think, you know, certainly over the course of the last 12 months, you know, it's great because I, I was in a, a meeting back in September with uh, a high level executive at this company and someone was doing a presentation and the, the executive was asking them to change something in the presentation as we went. And you could see this guy didn't have like his PowerPoint skills weren't where they wanted to be. And the executive, you know, finally she said, Hey, if you're not comfortable, you're not growing. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it resonates because I realized like for the most of the pandemic, I've been super uncomfortable, but like I've grown leaps and bounds. Kind of the place you get to is like, do you want life to be planned where you know everything's going to happen? Because that's an expected life. And it feels to me a little boring. And I say that after a year in the pandemic. Yeah. Or do you want to be an adventure where you don't necessarily know what's going to happen? And it's like, like, it's kind of like, do you want to be the captain of your ship or do you want to be, you know, on someone else, like let someone else pilot the ship kind of thing. And yeah. Is it scary to be uncomfortable a lot of the time? Absolutely. But like, that's also super exciting because that's where the growth is. And so you kind of have to train like you. I, and so based off, based off that last uh, dialogue that we were having, um, my next question would be, uh, you know, and, and some of what you're saying reminds me, you know, of, of igniting this fire. Uh, I actually got to listen to a gentleman named Brandon DeWitt from MX Technologies out at uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, speak one time um, at a thing called Patriot Boot Camp uh, for veterans entering the uh, entrepreneur space. And one of the things that he was saying there was passion and, and purpose or leaders and profit is a follower. And he was a gentleman that uh, found okay. his purpose uh, right after uh, he had 
um, basically overcome a, a rare cancer, which there was the survival rate was zero. I mean, nobody had survived or had beat that cancer before and just really powerful message that he had had. And then he was talking about purpose and how their, their company's purpose transformed, you know, because they were basically a, a financial organization and they actually began using the information to kind of help people uh, because one of the biggest reasons for suicide was, is financial, uh, hardships. And so they began to use some of the information that they were collecting as, as far as the financial industry goes, uh, to kind of help better people's lives and stuff. And I, you know, I, I found, I found that to be, you know, really, really, really powerful. Um, and so, and that leads me to my next question, which, uh, or segues into the next question, which is, can you really have a purpose-filled life that is, basically rewarding beyond our wildest dreams or is that just because i hear a lot of people say you know purpose is not you know your purpose and your passion you know that's not means what you're good at or what you should be doing and i sometimes i would argue that you know uh i think we do our best work when we're finding purpose and we're fulfilled and you know we're making those large contributions to something that's bigger than ourselves and i know you talked about that in your book yeah, no, it, it's it's so true, and I've heard the same thing, right? Oh, just because like it's something you enjoy, it's it's it, it's the weirdest thing. But I've heard like just because you it's you're passionate about it doesn't mean that's what you should do for a living. Really? What I mean, if it's healthy, if it's fulfilling, if it's help it, like ultimately any purpose is going to benefit someone else. I mean, that's ultimately like you know. So it, it's it's this weird idea that it's almost like yeah pursue your dreams but if it's going to take too much effort then just fall back and go with the safe plan like it, it doesn't make sense to me so i think yeah there there it's absolutely this idea that like we all have a purpose i'm absolutely committed to that and i think what we come to realize is if if my purpose is like i just want to tell stories like mm-hmm. i love like my third book is like starting to take shape after a year of trying to like uh, figure out what it is. And ultimately is it about, Oh, I want this book to be a New York times bestseller. And I want, you know, a hundred million copies sold. No, it's like, what is the story? What is this story? And how can I tell it in a way, in such a way that people are going to be like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Like this is I want to see this on screen. I want to like to see this in plays. Like I want to see this acted out because it's so beautifully written. Like that's that to me is like the success. And, and as you said, that speaker said, you know, that profit follows the passion, right? And mm-hmm. so, and that's the leap of faith. Is oftentimes we think we start structuring our life. We're like, well, okay, I want I want a three bedroom house, and I want or I want this family, and I want two kids. And then I want, you know, two cars or minivan. And and we think, well, that's what you structure your life around. And then you have a job that supports your ability to do that. And there's some sort of contentment in that. And I think for me, what I've come to appreciate is I will do whatever I need to do and I will become whoever I need to be to finish the story that I'm working on now, because that's how, that's how important it is to me. Because it's like, what, you know, I, I think ultimately Kirby, what a lot of people need to take into consideration is the stuff that got you to where you are today is not going to get you to where you want to be. Like you have to create a better version of yourself to get to the next level. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the reality of life. And so that means it's, that's not an external journey. That's an internal journey. Like what do I need to improve about me 
to get to where I want to be and to be this person that can finish the story or whatever the case may be. And so, yeah, I think, can you absolutely, I mean, millions of people, you know, potentially even billions of people are living a life that isn't full of passion, isn't full of purpose. And well, I mean, we see that every day, mm-hmm. but when you look at the people who are standing out, it's the people who've made that commitment to themselves to like, you know what, there's this calling inside of me that's, you call it a magnetic north signal, call it a frequency, but I'm going to refine and define this as sharply as possible because I want to tune into what this frequency about me is. And ultimately what that's going to do is that's going to help me benefit other people, provide for other people, inspire other people to like take courage, you know, courageous steps and that kind of thing. So I, can you absolutely live a life without purpose? Sure. See it every day. Uh, is it, is it a safe life? Yeah. Does it get you to some destination? I guess it does, but like, I still want my life to be an adventure. And, and even that means being uncomfortable. Sometimes I know that comfort always comes back around if I can just weather those storms. No, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I that's, this is a, a great explanation of that, uh, you know, in, 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 in this process of the, pers- I'm going to call it the pursuit of purpose, uh, <laughs> that, uh, there's a couple of things that always get in everybody's way and that's um, the choices that they make. And obviously the, the, the self-talk that, you know, that holds them back. Um, yep. And so what, what, how do, how do folks kind of navigate that? You know, uh, what, what's your recommendations? Like, you know, when it comes to making different choices in the, in the self-talk uh, if those are the, some of the, the two biggest obstacles that really just mostly hold folks back, what, what would you recommend that they do? Or yeah, what's the path forward for them? Yeah, well, so I'm going to take a page from yoga, and right. and one of the things you 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 realize in yoga is the relationship between observer and observed, mm-hmm. and and what I mean by that is when we are fully present in a moment, then like we sort of become one with that moment. Like in, if you see, like if you have kids and your kids are like completely glued into their mobile device or their tablet. That's because they're like, they're present. They're watching this TV show and they're completely immersed in it. And we think, oh my gosh, they can't pay attention. No, they're zoomed in on this thing. Well, we can do the same thing, but you have to realize you are not your mind. Like, so the the self-talk you have, yeah, who are you talking to? You're talking to yourself. So that means that there is a voice that you are listening to inside yourself. So there's this duality there that a lot of people don't recognize. And they think, well, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. I, I mess this up or I can't do this because I'm not like, I don't have the skills or whatever. That's you talking to yourself and basically sort of convincing yourself, okay, this is why success is not going to happen. And what yoga teaches you is that's voice is not you. If you realize like, that you are having a conversation with yourself then someone's talking and someone's listening. And so we say the one who's listening is kind of the self. Well, the self isn't the brain. It's not the mind. It's not the body. It's this higher awareness that's part of you. And what you have to realize is you get to choose how you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. You may think you don't, but ultimately (laughs) you have conditioned yourself to talk to yourself a certain way. So if you want to break out of that condition, you have to break out of yourself. You kind of have to, that's what being uncomfortable is. It's like doing stuff that you don't wouldn't normally do, even if you don't like it or it doesn't necessarily feel good, but that's how growth happens. That how, that's how evolution happens. And so like, if you want to evolve yourself, 
you kind of have to like switch, switch yourself up a little bit and like negative self-talk will absolutely keep you grounded. You just have to have the realization that, you know what, I can overcome, I can, I can take control of that voice and I can, like, I can sort of guide myself to the path that I want. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know I'm going to be afraid sometimes, but if I really believe in what I'm pursuing, then I'm going to figure out how to make this happen because you either, you either figure out a reason or a way to get it done, or you figure out an excuse on why it's not going to happen. Yeah, so whenever we start getting out of our own way, I mean, because that's generally, generally I think, uh, what some of the biggest challenges are, uh, because I think once we get out of our own way, opportunities start opening up. How do we know yep. that uh, purpose has revealed itself to us and and this is it? I mean, like, we know, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, it, well, it, it's a, you bring up an interesting point, right? And it's not like it's let's talk about purpose statement. So my, I have a purpose statement. I've refined it twice, probably in the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say the purpose of my life is to be a force for progress, speaking and writing with passion and sharing life's joyous moments. That's it. Like, and I can say, I can rattle off because I've said it to myself a hundred times mm-hmm. and, but what's in there, there's no job description. It, it doesn't say I'm supposed to be a vice president at an IT company, or I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be a movie director for superhero movies. It doesn't say anything like that. It says force for progress, speaking, writing, two things I'd love to do, passion and joy, sharing joyous moments with people. So, okay. I know my writing does that because I love, like, I love writing. I love talking about like the process of writing because it's next level, especially when you write by hand as opposed to writing on a Mac or writing on a computer or something like that. And like, ultimately that's an escape from like, that's, 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 that's fulfilling to me because it's like, it's, it's a place I want to go and there's a reward that I feel is coming and it's not necessarily a financial or monetary you know, success, but it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to tell the story that I've been dying to tell forever. And it's finally going to come out. But like, for me, it all comes back to what is my purpose? And like, I, for, the big wake up call for me was I read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich in 2017. And if you haven't read it, it's a phenomenal book. If you've heard of the law of attraction, He's at least one of the leading voices to speak to it. And it really talks to the persistence to follow your dreams. And he like interviews, I think, Edison, he interviews Henry Ford, he spent time with the Vanderbilts to see what made them successful. And what you realize is it's a lot of persistence. It's simply persistence. Like when Henry Ford wanted a V6 or V8 engine made and his engineers for like 18 months were like, that's impossible. We can't do that. He just kept coming back to them saying, let me know when you've got it. Let me know when you've got it. And finally, after like a year and a half, like, oh, yeah, we did it. Cool. And but that transformed like what we do today and what we know about uh, Ford Motor Company. So like you have to. For me, when I read that book, Think and Grow Rich, the first or second chapter, he asks you, what's your purpose in life? And that's the first that was the that, like that was the big bolt of lightning. Yeah. My life has purpose. There were vacations a couple times a year and stuff like that. But you're saying my life like has a point to it. Like there's a focus to my life and that's really powerful. And so what I did was I wrote a purpose statement. It was about writing and like, it was, it wasn't as sort of elegant as what I shared earlier, but it, I wrote it down and then I'm like, I'm going to write a book about finding my purpose in life because it was, it, that was, that transcended a moment for me. And so I started writing whiskey and yoga, but I wrote 200 pages of like this autobiography and it didn't make any sense. Like it made sense, but it was like, no one's going to care. And this is going to be like a 600 page book. 
no. So I'm going to write a self-help book on helping people find their purpose. Mm-hmm. And it kind of came to self-fulfilling prophecy. So whiskey and yoga was born and, um, and that was it. But like, you have to, you have to, there's no, there's one, there's not a final stop. You don't say like, my purpose in life is to build widgets and build widgets until the end of time. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, I'm going to probably look at my purpose in another year, or like maybe by the end of the calendar year and say, okay, how has my purpose evolved or changed from what it was mm-hmm. from speaking and writing with passion and sharing life's choice moments. What's, what's new and what's evolved for that for me. And then I'm going to put that down on paper. Yeah. And I think that's important to point out that, you know, um, what our purpose is when we're 22 uh, may evolve into something else, you know, by sure. the time we're 40 and it may not be, it, it may not even look the same, uh, you know, as we begin to, uh, you know, go through this journey you mentioned uh, you mentioned the book again, whiskey and yoga, and I know you've already you know taken a, a page out of the you know the side of yoga and shared it with us on on how you apply you know yoga to to finding your purpose and yep. But you know what does whiskey and yoga have to do with each other, and why whiskey and yoga? Yeah, it's uh, I got in December 2016. Someone gave me a whiskey and yoga T-shirt uh, for Christmas, mm-hmm. and obviously big scotch fan i've been teaching yoga at that you know at that point i was teaching yoga for i think i don't know 10 years or something and um it was a cool like it was this cool ironic thing and i was like oh i wanted to call the book whiskey and yoga and so I'm like why why can i call it that like what is the connection between these two things that actually because there has to be a connection it can't just be the irony of it mm-hmm. and so i kind of went some soul searching and well Yoga is really the story of the journey of like the spiritual self. Mm-hmm. Like that's ultimately what yoga is. And so I'm like, okay, well, whiskey is the journey of the spirit too, except that journey is in casks mm-hmm. and then it makes its way to your mouth. And so I'm like, so it's really the comp- what they have in common is they both tell the story of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's it. So that's, that's, that was my connection. And I thought it was very like kind of a beautiful one because it's, it's true. Like, absolutely. You know, if you've like, I remember when whiskey and yoga went number one on Amazon, uh, October 17th, like I was so happy 2017, I had a 42 year old bottle of scotch that I was waiting to have a drink of if it went number one. And so like it, it, I launched it that day. I had like done all these email releases and my team was sending me updates like throughout the afternoon of where it was, it was like number 17 number nine, and then eight 30 at night, it went to number one in self-help number one in yoga. And I was like, yes. And I had this glass that someone had made for me that said whiskey and yoga. I had this 42 year old bottle of scotch. So I took it, I like poured a shot and I just took this sip and it was like, you could taste the time of 42 years in the sip. And I was like, Yes, like whiskey and yoga, it was the perfect name. Mm-hmm. And this is like kind of this perfect moment to enjoy <laughs> and like release. And and that's what I did. That's how I got whiskey and yoga.
No, it's very cool. It's very cool. But you know, I, I think it's important to point out um, the uh, you you spend you know uh, a few pages on each and their origin stories, uh, yeah. especially you know you talk about the the origins of whiskey and whiskey and the cask and the benefits of whiskey, but you also talk about understanding the origins of yoga and and why it's popular today, and and it also has some benefits. So, can you touch on some of that? Well, yeah. I mean, well, whiskey, like the biggest thing is you have blends and you have single malts and mm-hmm. single malts are simply like they've all, they all come from the same batch of whiskey, basically, even though they may be in different casts, but this, they're all sort of made from the original batch where if you had a blended whiskey that it's the same process, but it's different blends or different versions of that blend. And then, you know, yoga has uh, an Indian origin um but again it's you know it's there's a really kind of beautiful hindu creation story that is you know interwoven throughout the practices and study of yoga and you know as it migrated certainly to america it it took on you know a new kind of popularity it's interesting to me because certainly most people they're not necessarily surprised when they meet me and they find out that i was a marine because i've got tattoos i'm still (laughs) fairly physically fit and I kind of have that look to me. They're really surprised when they find out I'm a yoga instructor because they're like, wow, you don't look like a yoga instructor. You look like Marine. But like, you know, again, that's sort of the Eastern blending philosophy. But it's interesting because yoga has really been picked up predominantly by women in, in the U.S. And, and it's because like there's this divinity that's spoken of in yoga that opens up the goddess for the, for the woman. And it's kind of this like beautiful journey and so like you go to a yoga class and you don't hear a lot of guys say okay gods here we are today to do yoga but you'll absolutely hear a female yogini say to a class full of women okay goddesses like you know here we are Mm -hmm. and you realize like it's sort of this powerful like you know ultimately the eastern philosophy you know from hinduism from buddhism there's this there's this idea of oneness and, and that's like the, the heroine's journey is internal. Like it's, it's the journey to wisdom, whereas the hero's journey is this external struggle. And that's kind of what's been dominant in the West, like mm-hmm. from the days of Sparta, ancient Greece, you know, fighting with Athens up through, you know, the advance in Roman empire and then sort of the creation of Western civilization is that always that external journey but I think why it's been so popular with women in the U S is because it is that internal striving for, for wisdom. And that's what uh, so many people have found. So I, I'd say that's, you know, f- why it's taken off to, to what it is now in the U S that's a big part of it. Yeah. And both have some, some benefits, you know, you talk about the benefits of whiskey and also the benefits of yoga, as far as, you know, um, antioxidants on the body. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I mean, whiskey, there's, I mean, so it's, Obviously, uh, if you drink a fifth or a pint of whiskey, yeah. it's not going to have necessarily the health benefits. Yeah. But, um, you know, the antioxidants, I mean, I, I didn't even know that. I remember researching it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, there's a, there's, mm-hmm. there is a sort of health or nutritious value to whiskey. Mm-hmm. And so, like, having some antioxidants in you from whiskey isn't a bad thing. And then obviously, yoga, you know, certainly not just the even the stretching piece and component of it, but for me, the big thing that, yoga gave to me coming out of the military was it started really peace of mind and and it was you know again so i got out in 2006 
the internet was thriving, but like I didn't spend a lot of time answering emails while in the Marine Corps. I was in Central America for my last assignment of fair amount, and I might get 50 emails a week. When I switched to corporate America, I'd get like 200 emails in the first hour and a half of work. And I, like I would leave work and just this noise in my head. And it was just, oh my gosh. And then I would go to yoga class and the noise would kind of stop and it would just be this stillness. And so that's kind of what drew me to yoga. I'm like, what is happening? Like, why do I have this feeling of peace and serenity when I go to yoga class? And it contrasts so sharply with the chaos I feel from volumes of email, agendas, meetings, to-do lists, all this other stuff. And so, like, I kind of wanted to harness that as much as possible. And, you know, just the stretching is super huge. Controlling your breath, mindfulness is really good. But just kind of the the grounding of the self um, was for me, one of the big takeaways that yoga provided me. Yeah. You think, uh, I, I think it, you know, it's also probably important at this point um, since we're talking about whiskey uh, to, to be responsible, you know, we're not really talking about drinking or binge drinking to escape, you know, what we're going through in life. But uh, you know, there's, you know, in my personal experience um, you know, and yoga has this spiritual journey that a lot of people can identify and relate to, you know, and that's, but you know, sometimes there's this also this transcendent, you know, um, uh, moment, you know, and I think you can have it with both, you know, I, one of the things that uh, uh, I've kind of over the times is, you know, I've begun to, you know, play with whiskey and stuff like that is that, you know, just the aromas and the smells and the presence in the moment that you can kind of get, you know, when you do have a glass and that's uh, can be very much like a transcendent journey and you have a lot more appreciation of beauty in the world, you know, again, you know, oh, yeah. transcendence and things like that. And it's something you enjoy, right. Not to indulge in, you know, uh, beyond, you know, uh, con you know, what proper consumption should be. So it's utilizing, you know, the resources that we have in a way that, you know, there's an appreciation for it. Well, and that's in the Kirby, and that's just it, right? Like, and, and certainly, like, when I look back, I, mean, I started drinking in high school. Like, I think probably that's true for, I don't know, 80% of adults in the US. Mm -hmm. Like, high school beers, wine coolers was big. Um, and then in college, it was cheap beer and cheap, you know, cheap whiskey or, you know, Jack Daniels, Jim Beam kind of stuff. And like you, you're drinking just, I mean, I used to drink, just get drunk, like just yeah. because it's like funny to be sloppy drunk and like, Ooh, what happened? And then, <laughs> and then like you sort of grow out of that and you drink, like you drink at social events for like football games or whatever. And then, but then at some point you're like, well, like I want to experience the drink. And I remember for Christmas, probably back in, I don't know, like 2012 or something. Um, someone got me two different scotches for Christmas. And to, to what you made, like one of them had a, a citrusy finish to it. And it was so interesting because I never tasted that before. And that was like sort of my first opening to, oh my God, like, it's not just about like getting drunk or feeling like fuzzy. It's about what is like, what is the craft and what is the artistry that goes into making this? And then how do you really enjoy it? And so by the time I got to 2017 and finally cracked open this 42 year old bottle of scotch, like, if you like, it's, it's, I can still like remember it, but describing taste in slow motion is like, that's the best way I can describe what it felt mm -hmm. like to drink something that had aged in an oak cask for 42 years. 
And it's like, it really is this slow, like it's, it's almost like time slows down so you can taste it. And you realize that's the beauty of scotch. It's not about like getting hammered and then playing pool or like doing stupid stuff. It's about, Oh my God, this, this, like, this is time. I'm tasting time in a way that I've never tasted it before. That's like the super cool part about scotch. Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, I really began to appreciate even more when I read your book was the origin story. And I mean, I hadn't really discussed to, or really dived into too much of the origin story of scotch, you know, and that was, that was quite interesting. Um, or yoga really, you kind of, you know, I didn't really research it that well until I read your book, but uh, you know, just understanding how scotch is made, you know, and I was like, again, you go into the craft, I mean, not only just selecting the right fields, selecting the right grains, you know, yeah, oh yeah, the right distillery with the right type of water, you know, and then just the whole process and then the right type of barrels, the right type of oak and cask. And I mean, just the whole process. I was just like, this is, this is really something here, you know, and you begin to really, as you, and then next time you have that glass of whiskey, you know, you really do when you do smell it, you know, and it, you take that first sip, you know, and then you hits the back of your palate. You really do develop a, a appreciation for every hand that has touched it, the process, and you know, just this the amount of time it took just to get it to that point. I mean, uh, and I think you know when we dive into things like these, you know, uh, it, again, I keep going back to uh, character strengths, you know, and that's the appreciation of beauty in the world. I um, mean, you just kind of have that moment of that transcendent moment. Um, but, uh, you know, I know when it comes down to purpose, a lot of us associate purpose with happiness. Uh, and I kind of want to talk about that because I think there's a couple nice little questions. Uh, if, you know, we, we still have some time permitting that I can ask you and, sure. uh, and, you know, uh, you do spend a lot of time on this, but why, why is happiness currently evading us in our current climate and culture? Well, I think a big part of it is it's, it's cheap fixes, right? We like, it, it goes back to this concept of instant gratification. And like, I mean, you think about it now, I, I was sharing this with someone yesterday, like in just 160 years ago, which I, I realized no one's been alive that long, but 160 years ago, it took 10 days to get a message from the East coast of the United States to the West coast, 10 days. Mm -hmm. And now we can send, I can send a text message to anywhere in the world that gets cell reception or even satellite reception. And it's virtually like, you know, a couple milliseconds or micro, you know, whatever to make that transmission. We can have a video call when our internets are working fine that like, you know, connects people with no lag real time. And so like we're consuming all this information and it's, like we're also producing this information. So you have to look at like the, the higher level of consciousness that we get to. And I think, you know, it, it, I think it, it really comes down to this idea that um, as we become more advanced, more present, like there's a greater awareness to the commonality of life's experience sort of, mm -hmm. um, it's not, I, I'm struggling with the answer. So um, let's come back to the question and, and I'll, I'll do a better job of it. Okay. So, I mean, there's a couple elements, right? You talk about in happiness. Um, can you talk about those? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, it, like I said, the instant gratification piece is a big part of it. And what I've come to realize is if you, like if you're on Facebook or you're on Instagram, 
and it's important for you to get as many likes as possible, Mm -hmm. then you're either going to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? And do like, do I like, do I need to be outrageous? Do I need to be blah to get more likes? Or I can like find algorithms. I can find a way to generate likes or I can generate false followers mm-hmm. in the hopes of bolstering my popularity. But, and, and, and somehow the likes thing has become so important that that's what happens is like I, mm-hmm. the, the validation that I put a picture out or I posted something and a lot of people like it. That's what I'm after. Well, mm-hmm. okay. So you get that. So what? And I, and I was sharing this yesterday and I don't think I'm uh, I don't, like it. If you haven't published a book, this might come as a surprise, but you can buy bestseller status, basically. Like you can buy email lists or you can, you can buy and say, okay, I'm going to become a Wall Street Journal bestseller and it's going to cost me $40,000, $50,000. And so what it means is, oh, I've got Wall Street Journal status now, bestseller status, but I've paid for it. Like I, pay, like I, I paid to play. It wasn't that like my book was so compelling. Mm-hmm. It was, I kind of created this credential. Well, is that really happiness? And I think in a lot of ways, because we're so used to ordering Amazon and being able to get something delivered from almost anywhere in two days or watching what everyone on TV that we think that, well, if I'm unhappy, I don't want to be unhappy. So I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to get a short-term fix by posting something or I'm going to a short-term fix by watching what I want to watch. I'm going to get a short-term fix by, you know, texting someone. And what's, what's wrong with saying, you know what, my happiness is not like a one-stop shop or a quick fix. My happiness is a path towards like, I want to be forever kind of fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we kind of veer away from that, well, guess what? Maybe that pursuit of happiness could take a year or two. Like I, I wrote, I've been writing more or less. I've, I've been focused on my third book for the better part of a year. And I wrote like these and kind of really kind of beautiful, what I think amount to outlines of the book a year ago. And I like, I read, in fact, I read one of them. I read one of these outlines in front of friends of mine. Cause it was like this almost like one man play. And it was super cool. And then I thought, like I'm done, but every weekend I kept rewriting it and I kept kind of expanding on the story. And then I got into May of 2020 and I couldn't expand the story anymore. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, what, why is this happening? And I got so frustrated, but I went away from the book. And now a year later, I think I have a sense of what the book's going to be about, but it took a year. And I think that's the big thing Kirby is like people don't want to put in that time because they're like, I don't want to like, like they feel like if I have to put that much time into it, can it really be that worth it? Well, yes. Like, like I like, this is like my life's purpose is around finishing the story in this book. And if it takes me five years, then it's going to take me five years. But like, I'm, I'm committed to seeing the story through because as challenging as it's been during a pandemic, as frustrated as it's been to like, as an artist, as a writer, as an artist to feel something and be so close to it and yet not have it complete has been incredibly frustrating, but also like the process of writing this and sort of 
discovering myself as a writer has been super rewarding and super beautiful to me. And that's like, that's where my happiness is. It's like, oh my gosh, I realize the closer I get to finishing this, the more I fulfill like who I'm truly meant to be. And that isn't like, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh my gosh, it's going to take me three years to do this. Because it's like, at one sense, you're like, well, if I do this, what am I going to miss out on? I could miss out on parties or I could miss out on vacations or I could miss out on this. Yeah. But if, if it takes me three years to do this and I'm going to be transformed and be so much happier because I've come that much closer to understanding how I can be fulfilling for other people's lives. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that because like, that's, that's sustained happiness to me. It's not, Oh, I posted a picture and I got a hundred likes on it yeah. or, Oh my gosh, like I'm I, like popularity isn't happiness. It's, it's this like shallow sort of empty drug that like we gives us a quick fix of dopamine or whatever, but it's not the end result. And so like, it takes, it takes time and it takes commitment. I think Tony Robbins has said it best. We're like, a lot of people, you know, underestimate what they can get done in a few years and overestimate what they can get done like in six months. And like success takes time. Like, and, and that's, but you have to like, at least like for me, that success is telling the story and getting to the end of whatever the story is meant to be. This week, I want to share with you a review from T.E. Corner. He says, Kirby is a true leader and life influencer. He is on a mission to redefine leadership and success. Not only does he focus on success in the form of goals and accolades, but he brings to the surface the real value and positive influence people can bring to the workplace and world. Great show. Thank you, Kirby. Hey everyone, positive reviews from awesome customers like you help others to feel confident about choosing the True Success Podcast too. Could you just take 60 seconds and go and make a review and share your happy experiences? We will forever be grateful and thank you in advance for helping us out and maybe we'll read your review on a future episode. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know you're the example you use on Instagram. I mean, and that dopamine, I mean, that's 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 been out there uh quite a bit. And I think yeah. most of us realize that those vanity metrics shoot that dopamine. These social media companies have picked up on the psychology of that and how the body works. And you also talk about three other ways that uh you know the body reacts, right, or interprets happiness and how it creates that, you know, I mean, uh, you know, exercise with endorphins is one and there's yep. a couple others. And I recommend folks jump into the book and, you know, uh, explore what those other ones are, because uh, as I was reading that and looking through that and I'm like, I could do more of this and a little bit less of that. So I have an even balance, right, of of this this type of uh, happiness, per, you know, producing um, uh, chemicals that the body actually does. And I can see where I'm probably deficient on some and not the others. Uh, yep. or, or leverage probably um, endorphins way too much in my life to keep me happy because, <laughs> you know, well, cycling and ultra marathoning and stuff like that, you know, I mean, I'm exercising quite a bit and well, well it's good and healthy, but uh, I tend to be reliant on one too much. And, 
you know, there's other ones in there I could be tapping into, which would be, you know, mutually beneficial to me. Um, and I know we talked about, uh, you talked about fulfillment and I, I really want to hit that, but you also talked about commitment. That's like the second time. So, uh, I'd love to get to that, but when it comes to fulfillment, there's this in, in, you know, we both talked about being in the corporate world, but, uh, what's the twist? What's the intertwine and what's the difference between having happiness and fulfillment, especially in your work and business. So, cause they're, they're both not the same, but there is some differences and how do they interact with each other though? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I think, I mean, again, happiness is, happiness, relatively speaking, is pretty easy to come by. Mm -hmm. It's the quality that is lacking. And it kind of gets, like, you can have Jack Daniels and have a drink of whiskey and be happy, or you can spend, like, I saw, I was looking, <laughs> I was looking at stuff yesterday, and I think I saw a 50-year-old whiskey for, like, $27,000, which I don't have that kind of money, but I can only imagine that's a different kind of happiness, like or satisfaction. Yeah. But it, it, but it's like it's you either set yourself up to be a happy person, figure out what that means for you, or you're constantly seeking happiness, which gives us like sort of like hamster on the hamster, what you know, wheel trying to get the the food or whatever. I think when it comes to fulfillment, it's you know the best thing for me being a coach. Even even before I had published whiskey and yoga, I was telling someone who bought the book. And I was telling them some of the practical things that, you know, this is, this is something that I work with, but they're like a, a, a recruiter or vendor, you know, partner. And, uh, and we finished our conversation and I walked her you know, to her car and she was like, thank you so much. You changed my life. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet of you to say. And she grabbed my arm. And she's like, no, you changed my life. And you want to talk about, like, I haven't even published the book yet. And something that I said that I firmly believe, because it's the authentic part of me, like, had this impact on this person. And so that's fulfilling. That's hugely fulfilling. So I think it comes down to there's, you know, I think, again, to, to borrow from Tony Robbins, there's a science to achievement. There's an art to fulfillment. And the art, the artistry of fulfillment is really in the delivery of something. Like, like the story that I'm I'm working on now is is so cool to me because it's going to take a reader on a journey unlike anything they've been, ever been on before, but at the end of it, it's going to be this really beautiful realization. And I think that to me is super cool because it's the art of fulfillment. Like I'm going to change this book is going to help change people's lives. That to me is super fulfilling. Ultimately, I think the difference between the two is happiness can be really self oriented. Like I, like I'm going to post something or I'm going to have a shot of whiskey or I'm going to go get the endorphins because I want to feel better. Fulfillment is I made someone advance, progress, improve the quality or understanding of their life. And I did it not by saying, this is what you need to do, but they had this aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, I understand what he says. And I can apply that in this situation to my life. And so you've left them better and that's what fulfillment is like oh my gosh i helped someone on their journey through this life to advance that's that to me is the art of fulfillment yeah you also talk about complacency and comfort um and i know those two play into this idea of purpose and getting there um and a lot of us uh and i believe you talked a little bit about it in the beginning um about getting out of our comfort zones uh yep and so how how does this play into our lives? And, and as we begin to, you know, understand complacency and comfort, 
Like, there's a level of commitment we have to make. And so I don't know if you can potentially explain how those those things are tied together and what commitment uh, means as far as the idea of purpose in your book. Yeah, well, I th- I th- so I think complacency and comfort, the best example I'll go back to what I said earlier about the idea of being on a boat, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, okay, I'm on a boat, but it's a cruise liner and there's like all-you-can-eat buffet and there's like a playground or like there's a big pool or jacuzzi or sauna and it's awesome and it's cool. I don't have to worry about steering the ship. Mm-hmm. Or there's, okay, I am the captain of my ship. I'm going to see how good a sailor I am because this is where I want to go. And I'm not exactly sure how to get there. So I'm going to navigate waters that I'm not familiar with. And, but I'm going to do it. Like I'm the one who's going to do it. And so then it becomes a question of, okay. And I think there's a great quote that says, um, calm seas never made for a skilled sailor sailor. Well, if you are taking charge of your life, how committed to you, like if you have a dream, I don't care how big the dream is. How committed to you are that are are you to that dream? Because if it's like, oh my God, I like this is too hard. This is gonna take six months. Ugh, like, there's no way I'm not doing it. Okay. You're not very committed to your dream then. Like if you're like, like and I I I kind of went through this like with with my last book, like I've been focused on it for a year. And I kind of had this mental milestone in my head that like just last weekend was going to be sort of the culmination of this year. And I wasn't at the place where I thought it would be at the end of that year. And, and like, I had this huge kind of letdown like Sunday a little bit and then into Monday. And then I was like, okay, well, what, what can I learn from this? Cause like, am I going to, am I punting on this thing that I put a year of my life into just because it did. I'm not where I thought I would be at this point is like, is that, is that like with all that I've done and I've written literally 500 pages of handwritten stuff over the course of the last 12 months with all that, with all I've thought about, with all I've sort of put into understanding what this book and what this story can be, am I willing to let it go because I didn't get to this mystical happy ending that I envisioned I would like last weekend. And I had that moment like Monday, this past Monday, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trashing this. There's no, there's no way. There is no way I'm letting this go where it is now because I've come too far. And so it's like, I believe in this dream. I believe in this story. I'm going to figure out how to get it done. And that's what commitment is. And you think, well, oh my God, like if, if I, let's say like in five years, like God forbid I die. And I've been working on this book and it's never come out. Uh, people are going to look and say, oh, what a wasted life. He kept even like throwing himself away in this book. I will tell you, however close I get after five years, knowing like the journey I've taken now, it's going to be so rewarding for me. Like, it's going to be like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Like, because that's to me what fulfillment is. Like, it's again, this sense of like, if I can get this story out and it takes me three years, it takes me five years, it takes me 10 years. I'm going to do this because it's that, that is how much I believe in the story, the value that can have for people. But it's like, how committed are you to your dreams? Because no one else is going to share that level of commitment except you. Like if you're not like, no one else is going to be like, Hey, I'm really into your dream. Let's make this happen. If, if you're looking for that kind of outside motivation, guess what? Your dream isn't big enough. 
Yeah, I really like this 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 part, you know, where where you did talk about commitment and you talk about truth and choices and almost commitment. Um, and there's a there's and you kind of to your point earlier in the book, you talk about how we kind of have flipped words on their end, and you talk about commitment and committed. And uh, the difference is, is you know, when we think of commitment, it's an obligation that restricts our freedom, and then com- being committed means is that we feel dedicated and loyal to something that we, you know. Um, wholeheartedly uh, believe in, and so I, I love the, the the I guess the contrast or or yeah you use with that as well as you know and and how you relate to most of us are just almost committed right we're we're not there yet you know it's a great idea you know and we're and it's a, it's a nice dream uh, but we're not getting there and one of the things you talk about is is one of the lies that we tell ourselves is we just got to try harder but that's yeah. not really our truth. And so I guess the last question I would have for you, um, as we begin to wrap it up is, is, is how do we, how do we get after that truth? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great, like, it's a great question because I think the idea of trying is, is like, well, if I just, it's, it's almost like my best isn't good enough. So I have to somehow find another gear and it's this, but it's almost this detachment, the separate idea that like my somehow there's a better, like if I just push this thing harder and it, it doesn't make sense. And you kind of just have to be part of it is like, you have to be honest with yourself and be like, you know what? I like this didn't work this way. So I need to try a different approach because if we try harder doing the same thing, ultimately we're doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome. And I think, someone long ago said that's the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. And certainly like I've been guilty of that in different situations in my life, but it's okay. This didn't work. Instead of trying to do that more, I got to switch my approach. So something else needs to change. And part of that is like the growth piece of it. Okay. So if I'm trying to like, if I'm trying to write a book and uh, like I get up every morning and I just force myself to write, but the book isn't coming together do I continue to force myself to write? Well, I know that's not going to do anything. So maybe I switch it up and say, okay, I'm going to write in the afternoon or I'm going to write in the evening or, you know what, I'm going to take away, I'm going to step away from the book for a month and not write anything and just let's see what happens. But I can't keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And that's kind of the, def- that's sort of the, that's what I see and feel when people say try harder a lot of times. No, thank you for sharing everything. Um, and, you know, I generally ask these last three questions and I wasn't for sure how I was going to ask them because we've spent a lot of time talking about purpose and meaning ownership uh, throughout this conversation. But I'm still curious, uh, how do you how do you define true success for yourself? Yeah, I think for me, especially when it comes to writing, because I think for me, writing has become my truth. And like the stuff I've written, I've gotten really honest. Even with my journal stuff has been really unbiased, unedited. Like that's what it is. And so I get interviewed when I do interviews, people say, ask him, but what success look, what does literary, literary success look like to you? Is it bestseller status? No, to me, it's me putting the story onto paper that I want to put onto paper. It's, it's the lack, it's, it's the absence of any sort of filter or translation or edit from the the belief and the essence I have in the story that's inside me 
and what gets down on pen or what gets down on my computer. That is success because ultimately what it means is I've told the story the way I wanted to tell it. I've used the words I want to use. And like when that's done, I know it's going to be a beautiful story. Even if it's only beautiful to me and one other person, mm-hmm. I'm good with that. But that to me is success. If I like, if I say, well, because ultimately that's for me, Kirby, that's getting me closer to my purpose. So it's refining that purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what success is. Success to me isn't, oh, I got all these awards or, oh my gosh, you've sold, you know, you know, like 500 million copies of this book. That's incredible. No, what the success is what's in the book. Like the success is the story itself. It's not what follows from that. Yeah. Earlier you said that, uh, you know, we're, our purpose is always evolving and I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, and I can see in my, my own personal life and my professional life as well. I mean, the two aren't separate, but we tend to pretend they are, uh, but, uh, you know, as, as far as that goes, you know, uh, I see it evolving. How do you see yourself evolving? So when I, when I ask that question, you know, who do you see yourself becoming or, or maybe even what your purpose might be in, in 10 or 20 years? Yeah. I mean, I think for you me to visualize that. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great question. I think for me, it really comes down to, you know, if I, if I go back to what I said earlier, the purpose of my life is to be a force of progress, speaking and writing with passion, sharing life's joyous moments. I go back to the speaking and writing part. And really for me, like the purpose of my life is ultimately shaping to be a master storyteller, because to me, that's where the excitement is. And whether I tell the stories in words on a page, whether I tell them through speaking, whether I tell them through acting, whether I tell them through someone else telling, like picking up on a story that I've told and their translation of it. Like that to me is where I see myself because the, the great journey I've been on, it's so interesting. Again, you know, I wrote Whiskey and Yoga self-help book, pure, mm-hmm. like factual stuff, statistics, personal stories. My second book, which came out last year, The Lighthouse Keeper is a fiction story, but it's still meant to help people. And it's like I very purposely created the story so that the protagonist like journals at the end of every chapter and says, these are the steps you can do to master your mind. Or this is the stuff that you can do to like, like sharpen your focus, sharpen your meditation, your willpower, whatever. But it was a fiction story. And so then I'm like, okay, well, you're not supposed to really, as a writer, you're not supposed to break genres. If I'm going to be in self-help, then I should be in self-help all the time. <laughs> but I wasn't doing it for other people. I was doing it from like, this is me discovering the writer within. Yeah. And so for my third book, like, I don't, I, I don't know how to classify the book yet because one, I haven't written it, but two, it's, it's in this weird blurry spot between fiction and nonfiction, mm-hmm. which I liked because it's, it's almost kind of turning into a cool horror story with a very happy ending. But like, that's part of my progress as a writer is, is going through this. So for me, like, I know the word that keeps coming back to me more often is storyteller. And that's, that's ultimately where I see myself, whatever that means, you know, 10, 15 years from now with technology and everything else. No, very cool. Very cool. You know, in the, in the last thing I'll ask you um, is that, you know, what, what kind of impact are you going to have? So when you cast a stone in the water, it creates that ripple effect. So w- w- what is that going to be for you? Um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's transforming how we see ourselves as a species. And I don't say that lightly, like human beings are so incredible and we've like the advances we've made and, we talked about, you know, consumption of information, things like that. I like, 
with video today and computer generated images and all this good stuff, to me, the written word has shaped history. I mean, we know that from facets like the written word has started wars. The written word has ended wars. It's brought, you know, put us into space. It's like the written word is so powerful. And so for me, like, that's what ultimately I want to do is I want to use the written word to like create an enhanced sense of universal consciousness on the planet. Well, thanks, David. I appreciate everything that you shared up to this point. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you real quick. Uh, if there's any parting message that you would like to leave us with, and then obviously tell us uh, where we can find you at. Kirby, thank you so much again for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. So, you know, I would just say, don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. Like complacency is like a, a couch that has lots of cushions on it. And you just have to, you have to train yourself to be uncomfortable because that's how, like, that's where the marrow of life is. It's from growth. It's from the adventure and uncertainty of not knowing what's coming next in a good way. But it's also like the more sure you are of your purpose and your dreams, the more committed you are to that destination, that journey. So that's what I would say in terms of it, you know, find me, I'm on David Richards, author.com. Uh, both books are available there. You can see my blog posts uh, as well as other podcasts I've done. And then David Richards author on Instagram and David Richards, a two on Twitter. Hey, David, I appreciate your time. Um, and for all those who are listening, I recommend that you go out there and you get whiskey and yoga. It's a breath of fresh air. It's clear. It's concise. It's to the point. It's organized. And I will tell you that this is probably one of the, the best books that I've read on finding your purpose uh, and has a unique twist uh, with it being, you know, tied into whiskey and yoga and just the, the phrases and headlines and how, you know, David has weaved that into the book. Um, uh, I would say he's well on his way to being that, that that's master storyteller. So again, David, thank you. And uh, we will see you again soon. Kirby, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript, and support us by smashing that like button. Leave a comment or review on whichever platform you are listening to the show on. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.